a Cathedral Studios production. St. Louis Blues supporters show. Should old acquaintance be forgot? San Jose might think so. And never brought to mind? Well, we've got re-signing Alex Petrangelo on our minds. Plus, new year, new team. NBC Sports, that is. We'll talk about Jeremy Roenick and... He said what? It's all in this week's St. Louis Blues Supporters Show. Happy New Year to you, listener. Welcome to another episode of the St. Louis Blues Supporters Show, the first of many, we hope, in the current new decade. Uh, with me today to, to ring in the new year is Mike Kelly. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Mike, and Andrew Ship. New Year's greetings. New Year, same old greeting from you, Shippo. Oh, if it's not broken, you know what they say. We'll leave that one up to you to decide. Listener, we are back <laughs> to discuss a lot of blues hockey. Uh, we took a little break over the holidays. Um, it, it, was, it was nice. But we have a lot of blues hockey to talk about. Um, it kicked off with a, uh, a big win against Edmonton. Really, a win that kicked off a pretty impressive win streak. The blues beat the Oilers 2-1 to one at home. It's featured goals from Braden Shen and Mackenzie McKechn. Um, and a little bit of last-minute drama, Mike. If you remember this, we had a goal scored by uh, James Neal. Last two minutes of the game, 18-10. On this play, Zach Cashin, who is not a clean hockey player, basically finished his check on Jake Allen, yeah? Yeah, he did, and I guess they deemed it uh, incidental contact. He was moving through the crease, but didn't make any attempt to get out of Jake Allen's way and definitely uh, helped Jake to the ice, leaving an empty net for Neil to basically get a tap in. Jake Allen was sliding laterally to make a save, and James Neal, who was following, I'm sorry, Zach Cashin was following the play in to the goal crease. Now, Allen had slid out of his goal crease, yeah. so he wasn't technically in that space, but the contact with Cashin, incidental or otherwise, did prevent Allen from getting back into his position, and James Neal was there for an easy tap in in front of goal. I don't know. I feel like in different sports, this like video review, you know, we, we always complain about how awful officiating is at the NHL level. And it feels like of all the penalties and infractions that are monitored by that or not monitored by that, it just feels like much of the time they get it wrong or they're nitpicking so much. Or in this case, what should have been very clearly disallowed, it's, it's let to stand. What do we what do we do about that? I don't know. I, knee jerk is that if there's you know contact with goaltender, there should be some sort of you know interference call, wave it off. But I can't, I can't say conclusively that Cashian did it on purpose. But he certainly didn't make an effort to get out of Allen's way. My understanding also is it doesn't matter if it's on purpose or not. If you high stick someone, if your stick yeah sure. goes above your shoulders and hits him in the face, in, incidental or intentional or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. It's a high sticking penalty. Unless it's a follow through on a shot or sure, pass. Right, right, right. So there are, there are stipulations. Yeah. But if, if you're preventing a goaltender from being in position to make a save, isn't that, again, intentional or otherwise, by definition, goaltender interference? Again, I think it goes back to, to the old blue paint. If you're out of that crease, does that negate the fact that you should be allowed to get back in? I don't know. I've always been one that says, you know, if a goalie goes for a skate, why not be able to, you know, nudge him? 
Um, maybe not all the time, but you know, have some sort of stipulation with that. But that's behind the net. Are you advocating open eyes hits against goaltenders? I'm thinking if uh, get rid of the trapezoid. I said this before on here. <laughs> get rid of the trapezoid. If they want to go play it in the corner, just let them get rocked, trucked. <laughs> I mean, that's their decision. Why not? But yeah, when you're in front of the goal, whether you're in the crease or not, you would think that you should be able to make the save or at least have the the right to get back into position. Uh, I think the, the the blue paint kind of being out of the blue paint, I think, helped that video review kind of say, well, he's not in he's not in the crease to to be protected. So he's kind of out of that. But if the case then you know why is it such a big deal when Sunquist hit uh whichever I can't remember who it was but he hit someone behind the net and there was that whole whole thing like well if he's back there and he's out of the crease he's not protected as much as he should be sounds to me like you're advocating basically you know the game NHL hits from like the early aughts (laughs) like the there was NFL blitz NHL hits classic and NHL hits with his yes exactly um yeah, that you know, that would certainly liven up the game. We would probably gain an entirely new demographic of of fans if that were the case. I, I'm I'm with you to to a certain degree. I feel like there's a pretty substantial double standard. The crease has also been deemed a somewhat arbitrary boundary because now you can be standing right in the middle of it, as James Neal and Nugent Hopkins were on this goal and score a goal that ten years ago would have been disallowed because you were in the crease and that's the goalie's space, right? So I feel like it, it should be one or the other. Either the crease is a sacred space for goaltenders, and if he's in the crease, you can't touch him. End of. If he's outside the crease, he's fair game. I would be totally fine with that. But it also means that a skater can't score a goal in there, unless, of course, you're Brett Hall and it's sudden death overtime of an elimination game of a Stanley Cup final. Then you're fine. But <laughs> that's, that's a tangent as well. Also, my mind was blown. This is completely not on the topic of goalies. But I saw a video last year of them melting the ice at some arena. And all of this time, I thought the crease was nice blue paint. And they're taking up the ice and melting the ice. And all of a sudden, they start peeling this like decal up in my mind. My, my life and perception of the crease was, was then ruined. Have you seen videos of them doing up the like, center ice at Enterprise Center or anything like that? No, it's, this it's was like the first thing that I've, I saw of last year. And I was like... What is happening? I remember as a little kid being amazed when, like, I stopped in the middle of the crease. And, you know, when you, if you do a hard stop, like, ice shoots up. And I expected that ice to be blue. And I was like, what, what's the deal? It's, it's not. <laughs> but, but, I mean, a lot of people also don't know that it's not actual water that, that's frozen. That it's another substance that actually has a higher melting point. That's why you can have ice rinks in, like, Arizona, you know? It's a real thing. Or or outdoors in the middle of Bush Stadium or the Cotton Bowl, as we'll come on to later in today's NHL Winter Classic. It was nice to knock off Edmonton again, kind of put them in their place. It was even nicer to go into San Jose and remind them that they're at the bottom of the league, and we're not. No animosity there. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I'm just going to take a hand pass on that comment. That's, That's right. There. And no call. <laughs> this is my podcast. We're not going to call any of that. <laughs> San Jose are indeed at the bottom of the Western Conference. 37 points. Incidentally, they're not bottom of the NHL as a whole. Somehow you still have the New Jersey Devils on 34 points and the Detroit Red Wings on 23 points. Wow. So San Jose third from the bottom league-wide, but definitely in the cellar of the Western Conference. And 
if you're anything like me, you remember a time, it was, I guess, when I was, what, Chippo middle school or so, when we, when we met the Sharks in the first round of the playoffs a few times, there were chants around at the time, I want to say probably the Keel Center of Ricci sucks. You remember Mike oh, Ricci yeah. was kind of their goonish player who would score every once in a while and just really got under our skin. So I think for that reason, there's always kind of been, in my mind, a sense of rivalry with the San Jose Sharks. Not so much anymore now. I guess last season's postseason encounter kind of might have restoked some of that, but the Sharks are not competitive right now. Ever since sacking DeBurr, not really, nothing has changed. San Jose got on the board early, but we came right back with Jordan Cairo's second goal of the season. Then Schwartz, then Nosen. It's a big second period. Followed up by three St. Louis Blues goals, two by Alex Petrangelo. Got to do whatever it takes to sign him, right? That's right. What I always used to joke about is him being our former Norris Trophy candidate is actually having possibly a Norris Trophy season. He would certainly... Yeah. I'm trying to think of any other defenseman. Some Maple Leafs fan floated around on Twitter this week a picture of a uh, Leafs Petrangelo jersey numbered 72. And like, no, please, no. Oh, dear. That can't happen. I don't care how deep Toronto's pockets are or if it is his hometown. It does beg the question of what you would give him to re-sign and what you would expect in return for an Alex Petrangelo. He's 29 years old, and you'd have to figure there would be a lot of term and a lot of money being moved. Right now, we're not really in a place to move any of those things. We can come back to the potential trade talks, the hypotheticals, if, if we like, but it's a tough situation. And you had to know, what frustrates me, in fact, about the um, when we come back to the Justin Falk thing, what frustrates me about that sort of contract is Doug Armstrong has to come into the season knowing that Alex Petrangelo could very well have a career season because it's a contract season. So why do you not give yourself that wiggle room when it comes to salary and term? Yeah, I'm not sure. I was listening to uh, an interview on Saturday or Sunday NHL Network between Luke Korak and whoever the host was at the time, and they were talking about Petrangelo and what kind of contract, what it would take for St. Louis to sign him, and everybody's expecting that he's going to get $10 million a year. The common thought was, or the prevailing thought was, yeah, that would, that would make a lot of sense early in the contract, but as it gets into the later years of the contract, you know, years six, seven, and eight, that's a lot of money tied up in an aging player. So it'll be interesting to see what Armstrong does with this. And, you know, we're, we're all hoping that he's going to take a hometown discount of some kind, whether it's term or dollars or both, whichever, whatever it takes to get the job done to keep him here, you know, the rest of his career, or at least for another five years of it. I think not only do we have to consider, okay, as he ages, you know, we're talking in four or five years' time when, okay, he's not 29-year-old Alex Petrangelo, he's 35, 36-year-old Alex Petrangelo. That's certainly one thing to consider, but there's also just the fact that he's having a career season right now, and how willing have we been as a fan base to include his name in trade conversations in years previous to this one, right? So even at this point, last calendar year, right, the flipping from 2018 to 19, no idea that the epic season turnaround is coming not even a thought of winning the Stanley Cup. I think at that point, most of us would have been, if, if you know, going into his last season of contract, if we get something good for him, obviously he's not worth, no, you know, it's not the Patrick Berglund bag of pucks argument. But Alex Petrangelo has not always been on our good side. He's not always played fundamentally sound hockey. And he's always had decent enough numbers. He's our captain for a reason, right? 
But winning the Stanley Cup and then having the career season he's having right now, could that possibly be shifting our bias a little bit unfavorably in the opposite direction, right? When we're losing all these games, of course, the captain sucks, right? Move him along if you get the opportunity as his contract comes to an end. Now it's it's the other way. We've won a lot. We've done. He's led us to things, right? In fairness to him, that we've never seen before as a fan base. Could we possibly be overestimating his value? Not being aware of the fact that most players sign the big contract and then come back with a not so stellar follow up season. In which case, we would be immediately regretting that decision. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I think you look at it, too. When Petrangelo was awarded the captaincy, there was that discussion of whether or not it should have been him in the first place. And then there was talk about locker room unrest. Was there a Steen camp and was there a Petro camp? And it seemed like, and I think rightfully so, like you hear that, like that affects the way you play. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, Steen, in those first couple years, uh, I think in that, was putting up good numbers and was the kind of wrecking ball force that he he is putting up points uh penalty kill um just doing everything that that needs to be done and so if there was any divide in that I mean that I think can come out in a guy like Petro in the way that he plays because he's not a guy that's necessarily gonna stand up for himself or like go after someone the whole uh Jamie Ben thing how can you let him sit on you but at the same time like is that not good leadership? Or is that saying, okay, I'm not going to take a stupid penalty right now. Is that smart? And so I think the past two years where we, where we, see, where we see Petro is really growing into that um, and, and embracing that role of, you know, kind of who, who he is as the captain, as the leader of, of the team, and, and really just taking that by the reins. And I think, I think that showed when, you know, Steen, who was always a top six guy, all of a sudden is taking that role on the fourth line as a, as a team player. And there was nothing, there was no talk of, Oh, what this is great captain material. It's he's doing what he needs to do for the team. And so whatever divide I think might've been there, maybe us as fans built up, I think there's something different in the way that that whole locker room dynamic was, they would probably deny it, but you almost think that there had to have been something. And so almost more freedom for Petro to go out and just be Petro. And that's something that I think is, you know, worth stating in, in the whole discussion. And, oh, my gosh, did you see the clip of him and his kid yeah. in the interview? Yeah. How do you not want that guy around your organization? Is that my kid? That is my kid. Come on. Come over <laughs> here. And as soon as he picks up his kid, he stops crying. Like, that's exactly the type of guy that I want as the face of, of a team that I support as my captain no matter what. And if nothing else, I think that speaks volumes of who he is and his character and that's the guy I want leading my team time and time again. We spoke about this a little bit off air, uh, Mike Kelly, but I think so much of the credit for the turnaround, not just as a team, because we kind of mentioned off air, there were so many contributing factors to last season turning around, right? Baruby, Bennington, um, players starting to gel, finding their appropriate role. Mike Yo not being anywhere within you know sight of the locker room certainly helped. I think Craig Berube, one of the things that he has not gotten enough credit for, there's lots of attention to him as a tactician, him as a motivator, but I think also just kind of getting back to basics in terms of what it means to be a team. What what I see when I look back on last season was a lot of things that needed to gel and that, that didn't gel under Mike Yo. And then when Craig Berube came in, everything started to simplify a bit. 
And I, I wonder if, Shippo, when you talk about Alex Petrangelo kind of living into that role as captain, if how much of that is a result of the way Craig Berube goes about doing his thing? And if that is the case, then having Berube around for the long term as well, in theory, should keep Petrangelo on, on that track rather than, and, and this would be my concern, if we move Petrangelo, the captain that led you to your first Stanley Cup final is gone. And OK, yeah, you replace him with I would vote for Orion O'Reilly as, as the team captain. Uh, maybe a Braden Shen, say. But right off the bat, you're all of a sudden at a loss, not just for a captain who knows the Blues culture through and through, but who's been here for a large amount of time. The, the You know, the player that's seen the really bad seasons as well as the highest of heights. Yeah, absolutely. I think that goes, I think that says something. You know, having a captain who knows the full range of everything um, and is selfless makes a, makes a big difference. And I'm not saying that if you look up to our, our friends from Chicago, I'm not saying that Jonathan Taves isn't as good of a captain. But, like, you look at, oh, you know, he won more Stanley Cups. But also, you he seems more self-engaged than a Petro, who really does look like he cares more about the team and the organization, as opposed to kind of saying, okay, well, this is who I am. This is my role, whatever. And I think that's I think that says something, too, in the fact that, you just look at a guy who really cares about the well-being of everyone uh, around him. And I can't – I don't think you can say that for every captain in, in the league. And I think that, like you were talking about, the, the culture of the organization. People come to St. Louis. David Perron went third time. He wanted to be here. There are other guys who come here. Troy Brower even coming back and, you know, kind of saying, this is a place that I really enjoyed and wanted to, to be around. I just think that says something not only about the the Blues as a as a team, but also the community. And I just I think Petro just epitomizes that with everything that that he is. And so, you know, I I would love to see him back. I don't know, it might be one of those backest things where I give him here's what we'll give you from a term, and if you like it, great. If not, you know, thank you. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what happens there. But he is playing some just great, fantastic hockey right now. And I always like the captain being a defenseman as well, because there is less expectation on them to be on the score sheet goals wise. Moreover, when defensemen make errors, they're always the first ones that you look to. And we had a conversation, I think in the last episode about people perhaps unjustly blaming Justin Falk for a goal that we conceded when in reality it was the forwards that left their man, but people were still looking at Justin Falk in the end. I think when you're a defenseman as a captain, you have a greater overall sense of accountability and responsibility over the rest of the team. You don't have the tendency to say, I'm going to score this goal for the glory because, you know, usually defensemen aren't the ones expecting to be lighting the lamp up. The fact that Petrangelo has been doing that is a bonus. But I think if Petrangelo had three goals instead of 10 goals this season, I would still consider him to be a good captain and a good defenseman because his play on the back end has been so tight. So I, I think in many ways, like you said, he has grown into that role very, very well. And I don't know I don't know how we would replace him. I think O'Reilly would be certainly capable, but we would be definitely at a loss. I think the that Armstrong's got to find a way to make it work. And I was just thinking, you know, there's there are other sports like football and baseball that have contracts where there's an option for an X, you know, number of years. I'm not sure. I, I've not heard of that in the NHL. I'm not sure why that doesn't happen. But if you could, 
you could give Petro a five-year contract, and then in five years, you know, we'll extend that another year. If your play is still at X level, we'll extend that another year and another year and, you know, whatever. Um, and that would make it, in my mind, more manageable than a guaranteed $10 million for eight years, $80 million that you're committed to. Because there are teams out there that are screwed with these big contracts. Chicago, Minnesota, have uh, got players locked in for a lot of bucks. And I know Roman Yossi just got a big fat contract, and that kind of set the bar for Petro. But I don't know. Armstrong's got a tough job. Chris Kerber said something on the radio that just really kind of inspired me. And, and again, I see pros and cons to both of these, but he said something to the effect of if, if Alex Petrangelo re-signs, then his number will absolutely be hanging in the rafters as one of the Blues all-time, all-time greats. And I would say even at this point, he's probably come very, very close to having accomplished that. But he, Kerber was basically saying he will, he will own every single Blues record there is to own in terms of games played, points by a defenseman, whatever. That's something that maybe it's just the romantic in me as a fan, but I love. It's the same with like the Cubs and Anthony Rizzo or talk about West Ham sometimes and Mark Noble, Declan Rice, you know, like these players that can be, and, and Jonathan Taves is going to retire a Chicago Blackhawk, right? It It's special when you have that player that is your talisman that's very much like when you think of the Blues, you think of Alex Petrangelo. And right now, I don't necessarily know that that's the case, but... I think if he resigns, people always identify him as the guy that brought the cup to St. Louis. But I think to be able to put him on the same level as an Al McInnes or Chris Pronger as like the absolutely iconic blues defenseman, that that's a powerful thing. And I, I would hope that that would incentivize him. Again, it is business for them. Most of them are not the same romantics that we are. We're fans, right? So um, it's it's a whole other experience for us. But Yeah, maybe it's because I have no idea what that money looks like, nor will I ever... But what is $10 million a year going to get you that $9 million a year can't get you? What does $1 million <laughs> of anything actually look like? Well, yeah. I too. don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can, I can imagine, because I, I, I'm kind of OCD, right? So I break things down into like tens, hundreds, whatever, things that I can visualize. And then, okay, you know, a, an even grid of that. I can imagine like $1,000 bills on the floor. I, I can visualize that. I can't even wrap my head around what a million of anything looks like. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know what you do with 10 million that you can't do with 9 million. Support triplets. I think, I think he can do that with <laughs> probably right. 1 million, really, if you really think about it. Right. Yeah. I mean, people support triplets with less than a million. That's being facetious, Shifo. I know. I'm just, I don't get it. I don't understand the money. Like, and some of these baseball MLB contracts are stupid. I need to make $479 million. Like, why? But I guess that's what we build it up to. I, it just it blows my mind. Um, you know, good for them being so good that they can get that contract. And it just, it's bewildering to me. I'd love yeah. that Bryce Harper signed with another team and then the Nationals went on and won the World Series. That was so cool. Just in the way that he did it and left town, that was pretty neat. I would imagine uh, Anaheim is regretting that contract to Albert Pujols. That was a lot of bucks for a lot of years. He has played well for them, though. So it's And I think, ask that hypothetical again in two seasons, say, because they got Joe Madden. 
You know, Joe Madden brought the Cubs from last in the Central, last in the MLB to winning the first World Series in 100 years. And I think he has a lot more to work with in Anaheim right now than, than he did in, in Chicago back then at, at the time in terms of like winning tradition, like established players who are just ready to kick on to that next level. But this is a hockey podcast. Let's talk about how much fun it is to beat the Kings because similarly to the Sharks, even more so than the Sharks, I have a very distinct memory in like what 2012 13 was it that we met the Kings back to back seasons in the postseason and lost, right? There's this nightmare that was actual real life in my head. And whenever anybody ever says Brian Elliott, like he was the guy, I just have a flashback to Dustin Penner just taking a shot at the buzzer from outside the blue line and roofing it top shelf on Elliott and sinking us in that season. I remember where I was sat on the floor in my basement watching that go in and just thinking there goes the season and that's probably kind of what Kings fans felt like at about 12 minutes and 21 seconds into the first period of this game after Braden Shen Jaden Schwartz Vince Dunn and Braden Shen again had scored four times in the first 12 minutes of a hockey game it's fun yeah it was I've seen that happen to the Blues too many times it was nice to be on the other side of it and yeah there's no there's no love loss with the Kings I think Pretty sure I was at that game that you were talking about, and Brian Elliott let that goal in. And I, because I remember from my seat screaming, "No, <laughs> <laughs> you did not just do that." One of many times from that era of Blues hockey that we found ourselves screaming, "No, <laughs> <laughs> probably." But yeah, I, I didn't feel too bad for the Kings in that situation. What I love about this game is on two separate occasions. In the first period, the Blues scored two goals within one minute's span. So Braden Shen got us on the board 451 into the game, and then less than about 50 seconds later, so 543 into the game, Jaden Schwartz got a power play goal. And then the same thing happens again, 1121 in, Vince Dunn scores, and then 1221 in, Braden Shen scores. The game was put to bed 12 minutes and 21 seconds into the first period. Alex Ayafalo scored at the end of the period, but the Blues basically took the last 40 minutes off. I made a comment in our, our game ch- uh, game chat thread, actually. That scoreline of 4-1, to one, I think it kind of flattered us a bit because we came out of the gate raging from the start, 4 nothing, 12 minutes in, and then we just kind of took our foot off the gas. Yeah. Okay, managing a lead, I get that, you know, it's, it's not always glamorous, but uh, it definitely looked like it was going to be an 8-9 sort of thing early on and it wasn't always fun to beat Jonathan quick like that though. It is. I'm, I'm not sure what it is. The blues like to take their foot off the gas when they get a lead, a comfortable lead. And most of the time it's fine. It works out. It's not really burnt them too many times, but my only concern about that is sometimes it leads to bad habits creeping in for next game. Bad habits. The blues took the last five penalties in this game, going back to the first period Falk, Bomeister, Bozak, Petrangelo, Sunquist, all through the end. Now they're just hanging on to a lead, and they had a three-goal lead, but still. I think part of why I like beating the Kings so much is I have two memories. One is Jonathan Quick in, I want to say, the Olympics, intentionally dislodging his own goal when there was pressure inside the zone. That's trashy. And then the other one, which really sticks out in my mind, is in, in I think the same postseason when the Kings eliminated us en route to a Stanley Cup victory for themselves, Dustin Brown kneeing Radim Verbata, I want to say, um, exciting uh, winger for the the Phoenix Coyotes at the time, just took his knee out at the blue line, took him out for the rest of the postseason. And I'm like, 
if that's what it takes to win a Stanley Cup, well, it's it doesn't take that to win a Stanley Cup, right? I think the Blues showed last season you can play with grit, you can play hard-nosed hockey, and not take cheap shots at, at the opponent. For that reason, I will always like beating the Kings, always. And then uh, knocking off the Jets back-to-back was nice. It's like you're reading my mind or the schedule because the that's schedule. exactly what we were going coming on to next. Back-to-back fixtures against Winnipeg, home and home. Uh, first in Winnipeg, which is not an easy place to go. And Mike, how did that turn out for us? Turned out really well, uh, despite giving up uh, giving up the lead. What three times, four times, for four time different tagging, lead changes, four times. And uh, but you know, Mister Overtime does it again. I I do not know how he's not on the all-star roster, but I guess he has a chance of being voted on still. Uh, yeah, being voted. I, I think a lot of the all-star picks just had to do with the fact that the Blues won the Cup, right? So, like, Jordan Bennington has been solid this season, but by no means has he been the best all-star. goaltender in the league. I, I would not call him an all-star this season. Last week, though, second start of the week, 3-0. and I don't have any comments about all-star games. I think they're dumb. I think the three on three format they're doing now is pretty dumb. I'd like to get see it oh, get really? back to being an actual game. I don't know. I'd play an actual game. See what I love about three v three is it kind of it just acknowledges the fact that we know that players have not been trying for for years. Like I remember when I was young watching like you know the, one of the most memorable scenes is Owen Nolan coming in on I think on Dominic Hasek maybe and like Babe Ruth style picking his corner he points out like I'm gonna go there and then shoots it there and scores and there was this element of like swagger players would try that it was bragging rights and it didn't count for anything you know but it was still like it was that culture and that has not been the case for the last ten years and I think the NHL kind of said you know what like. We know that you're not going to skate. We know that you're not going to play defense. So let's just make it 3v3 where you have all that space anyway. Like you don't like the pace isn't super high. There's less likelihood of injury, all that. I, I don't know. Just devil's advocate. I, I just break in the season. Cool. But then you have guys who are traveling more because they're going to all-star games. Ovechkin's catching flack because he's like, I'm getting old. I don't want to go do that. He shouldn't have to. Like, why Why should he be punished or why should he be fined for not wanting to go to the All-Star game? He shouldn't have to. Like, if you don't want to go, you shouldn't be required to go. There's probably I hate, something I hate contractual. All, I, hate games. I hate All-Star games. Yeah, they're kind of dumb. I think, I think they're the biggest waste of time. If you want to give a three-day, four-day break in the middle of the season, which the NHL kind of does now anyway, they get that one week off in the season. Like, it's built in already. Like, don't – who cares? It's a money thing. I get it. It's a business, but I just, I'm not going to go to anything unless, like, if someone gave me a free ticket, I'd probably accept it just because it's a free ticket, but I have no desire to go to any of the all-star stuff. I always like watching the NHL skills competition. That's a lot of fun just for gaining an appreciation for just how talented these players are on an individual level. And we've mentioned this a few different times on the pod where like if you sit on the glass at Enterprise Center or at any NHL game, really even an AHL game, you gain an appreciation for just how much raw skill and how fast everything is, how fast everything happens. And there's something about just watching a player skate at full pace all the way around the rink that you're just like, wow. The amount of talent that it takes to play in the NHL is just otherworldly. I could do without the the game where everybody's half-assing it for 60 minutes, you know? It's whatever. But, like, the hardest shot thing, it's classic. Um, you know, even just giving them an opportunity to, like, 
you know, kind of do their little dipsy doodle moves on the breakaway relay thing. It's like, that's a lot of fun for me. And you can tell that they have fun with it. It humanizes them, but also shows off their raw abilities. I would be fine if that were all you had, but I, I, I get it. Yeah. I do it at the end of the year or the beginning of the year. I guess you can't really do it at the beginning of the year. I don't know, but I guess because the playoffs are so long, it's guys are golfing for two months before that would even happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but yeah, Piranha is deserving. If we're if we're talking about all star games and guys on the Blues who are deserving to go, David Perron is definitely deserving to to be there. I should also retract my statement that Jordan Bennington would not be an all-star for me. He has the most wins of any goaltender in the Central Division. The only goaltender with any amount of starts who has a better goals against average than him is Ben Bishop, and that's .05 difference. Connor Hellebuck is also good. He has 18 wins, but 11 losses. Save percentages are almost identical. So it's you have good, talented goaltenders in the Central Division. Bennington certainly deserves it. The head-scratcher for me is Ryan O'Reilly, and that's kind of where I'm like, okay, you know, Smythe, I get that. But when you have Braden Shen and David Perron, who have just been tearing it up for us, you'd expect to see one of them in. Anyway, the Blues did beat the Jets 5-4, basically trading off goals the whole way. Falk Bork, Petrangelo Connor, Bozak Connor, Bozak Wheeler, and then Perron in overtime. Tyler Bozak with two goals. Rob Thomas had a heck of a game. Jaden Schwartz, three assists in that game, and then two goals the following game in St. Louis against the Jets. Comeback season for Jaden Schwartz, hey? Schwartz likes playing Winnipeg. I mean, that Winnipeg series in the playoffs, he pretty much took over. In the last game, he took over. (laughs) Well, he scored the hat trick in game six, but he also had the tap-in goal, the winner in the last minute in game five, was it, I think. Right. I think he had a couple other goals that series as well. I was watching game five with my family, right? It was tied in the last minute, and I made a comment filled with expletives saying, oh, of course, like, why would you put Jaden Schwartz on the ice right now? And before I could finish that sentence, Bozak threw the bucket in the middle, and Schwartz (laughs) tapped it in. It was beautifully ironic. So I have to say I love Jaden Schwartz now because of that moment. That was a humbling moment. Yeah, the Blues scored three third-period goals in that game. Come from behind win. Mm-hmm. We've been pretty good at those lately. St. Louis Blues most come from behind wins in the NHL. I feel like they should define a come from behind win as like if you're trailing past a certain point in the game. You know, because technically, if you start the game and they score maybe in the first minute off a flute goal, and then you go and rattle off five, you know, like we did against the Kings and the game is never in contest after that point it's like it's still technically a come from behind win right but that's not really that impressive as opposed to say if you define a come from behind win which is not a real stat to begin with but if you say okay if you're trailing at the halfway point of the game at that point on it's a come from behind win these are the things i think about 4-1 win against the jets at home that gave us an eight game win streak and what happens when we carry a win streak into arizona mike kelly we apparently don't know how to play against the coyotes right now Guys looking forward too much to New Year's Eve? I No idea, but, I mean, you can't complain about an eight-game win streak, that's for sure, but I don't know what it is about the Coyotes that they've got some sort of magical power over the Blues the last couple seasons. We should point out Arizona are a very good team. We always kind of traditionally think of them as, oh, they're the Coyotes. They're, they're no good. They are a good team. They're second place overall in the Pacific Division, which, granted, is not a strong division. 
They would be fourth place in the Central Division, even on points with Dallas at, at this point, having beaten us last night. But 48 points, second in the Pacific. I was kind of surprised. I think it became real to me how good they are and what their aspirations are when they picked up Taylor Hall, the player that we were always linked with. And then watching him play in their system last night, I think really kind of showed me, wow, like, okay, it works. And they've got something good going on there with Rick Tockett. They've got a, a core of somewhat young players, but that have still had experience. Players like Oliver ekman Larson has always been one of the defensemen I've had my eye on. I love the way he plays the game. Arizona are good. And Arizona's a hard place to play. It's it's a desert. And there's something very weird about how dry it is there. There's nothing else really like it in North America. Maybe Dallas. I don't know. But it's just a weird feeling of like being outside and it's a totally different climate. I mean, you're in a weird headspace. Yeah, I think that that game, I think the Blues were, were the better team for most of it. Um, I mean, the scoreline doesn't show it, but I think it was close to 40 shots on goal. Scoring chances, gosh, the Blues. I think if they look at that game and they look through it again, they just missed some glorious chances. And uh, Ranta made some just stupid good saves. But, I mean, all in all, I thought if you look at the chances and you take away the goals, I thought the Blues were the better team in, 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 the, in that game against Arizona. The power play looked dreadful. That's, you know, that's one thing that the Blues last year, they couldn't score on the power play, but they still went on a run and still won the cup. This year, it's like, oh, the power play's better, and we're scoring on the power play, and we're good. And and yet a game like last night, sometimes you just can't score, I guess, and that's kind of what it looked like to me. 0 for 5, I think it is, on 5 on 3s this year. Going back to 2016, the Blues have not scored a five-on-three goal in reg- what? the regular season, according to a stat I saw on Twitter. That's insane. That's insane. And and they had a five-on-three last night for close to two minutes. Yeah, got lots of shots on goal, but it just what struck me is it looked like they were trying to employ the same strategy they would employ for a five-on-four. A lot of David Perron shots from the top of the face-off circle, and I I don't I don't get it. They would take the puck down by the goal line. They would have an opportunity to center to a wide open man on the weak side. And they just, they either wouldn't go for it or when they did, they, they wouldn't get through credit to Arizona for defending it. Well, but th- there's gotta be something. And, and you work on those sorts of things. That is something that you drill in training power plays five on three, five on four, four on three, empty net. You run those drills. We knew the win streak was going to come to an end at some points. Disappointing for me, I guess, is the fact that the Blues had the opportunity to take over the number one spot in the NHL. With a win, they would have been propelled to 60 points overall, surpassing the Washington Capitals, who currently sit on 59 at time of recording. Bob Thomas is good. Bob Thomas is good. He was really impressive in the Jets, well, both Jets games. I was at Sunday's game, and the moves, the the cuts, the switchbacks, whatever you want to call them, to find open ice. Shake and bake. And he's definitely got a chemistry going with Bozak right now. They so. always have. I mean, they rectified uh, Pat Maroon's season last year. I stand by that. Yeah. Big rig. Bozak was another player right alongside Ryan O'Reilly that at first people were like, why did we sign him? What's the point of this? I think I made a comment in the game chat that I actually think he's – one of the most underrated players in the Blues squad. Not always flashy. He gets on the board, and he's having a great season, and he had a good season last year. But just the small things he does, the face-offs, the defensive responsibility he takes. Yeah, he reminds me a lot of Alexander Steen. Those two guys, they don't – nothing is really showy, but 
they do what they need to do. And Bozak was having a hard time earlier in the season. He was getting robbed, hitting posts. The numbers weren't really there, and it's like it's just a matter of time before it turns around for him. And he's been on fire, and he's it's fun to watch. And what's even more fun than watching him score is watching his wife tweet about how much like, I mean, it's awesome. I absolutely love the fact that they're in St. Louis. One because Tyler Bozak's a hell of a hockey player, and two, Molly is one of the greatest uh, Blues Twitter follows. I think she's fun. When you have personality in a game like that, it's it's always contagious. You always like it. And there's not always that that vibe, certainly, but she has fun with it. Theirs was the cup celebration I liked the most, the margaritas in the cup. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Salt on the rim and everything. <laughs> it was great. Good week of Blues Hockey. We've got some more stuff coming up, so we're going to take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk about it. Welcome back, listener. Future games of the Blues have coming up tomorrow night, which is Thursday. I know it's like that weird alley of the holiday season where you're like, what day is it? To me, today, it feels like a Saturday because I was watching soccer all morning. But, in fact, it's Wednesday, the 1st of January, 2020. Tomorrow, on the 2nd, we play in Colorado at the Pepsi Center, followed by a game Saturday afternoon, 4 p.m. in Las Vegas against the Golden Knights. The last game of this coming week is well, early next week against San Jose at home. These are teams we've played. These are teams we've beaten pretty pretty well. Like We haven't really had a huge challenge, even from the Colorado Avalanche, who, in my estimation, I said this at the beginning of the season, there's one team that I expect to challenge us. It's them, and they have been challenging us. Um, at times, they've put some pressure, but not so much anymore. We're eight points clear of them, but it's going to be a challenge. We just played them. What are we looking forward to about those those games, Mike Kelly? Colorado is a fast team. McKinnon is a beast. Going to go into their place, their crowd, and just got to stay focused and play that solid game and contain Nathan McKinnon. And I think we'll we'll be all right. I always like playing Vegas. Get to see Ryan Reeves again. I just I, I love what the Golden Knights have done as a franchise, especially in the postseason. The over the top pregame shows are just a riot. Starting with their Twitter account, they never take themselves too seriously, and I, I love that. It's, we need more of that in hockey. Kind of right along with you know the, the Bozaks and their, their online presence. Steph and I will be in Vegas to watch the Blues on February 13th, so we'll get to see that pregame That's fun. show. Did that last year. Went to Vegas last year, and that is a blast. Is it? It is so much fun. They have... Music on a stage outside. It's like a whole courtyard of just fun. The the drum entrance. It is an absolute blast. I wish I could go every year just to like experience that. Like I don't care about the rest of Vegas, but just that experience for the hockey game is so fun. You're gonna love it. <laughs> cool. Vegas, they have to do things over the top. Be ridiculous about it, right? Yeah. I was actually talking to a buddy last night. What do we have to do to get the city to shut down Clark right there in front and like turn that and transform it? And it's like, well, it'll never never happen because of that big post office for the city. The trucks need to get up and down there. But how fun would that be to have something that was completely designated just for a fun, open, engaged environment? I know they kind of tried to do that a little bit with some of the new renovations and, and everything, but just... I just think that would be a blast. 
So what you need to do is you need to build a complex right across from the stadium, maybe call it Hockey Town Village, say, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> just fill it with the restaurants that nobody wants and, and just watch all of the other corporate life around it just, like, decay over the next well, five years. you don't need years. to do that. Cough. <laughs> Well, they've Baseball, got that courthouse <laughs> building at 14th and Market uh, fenced off. I don't know what the plans are for that building, but it would be nice to see that get Ooh, that would be fun. demolished and turned into something fun. We turn the Amtrak train yard into the pregame, <laughs> postgame rager. I just, I just think having a stage that you can set up and just have that type of like not maybe not even well, they not do even something game, like, like that. They they do that in the, in the postseason. There were those pregame shows. There was live right, music. But I'm saying like have it built into the yeah. construct Con- of welcome. I mean, then you have this is a complete aside from anything that we need to be talking about right now. But when you have second Missouri, segment, man, whatever Missouri Valley <laughs> Conference tournament come in, then you can say, you know what? Here's some here's some St. Louis bands. We're just gonna play out in this courtyard, and just kind of have that constant ongoing entertainment that's built in. So you don't have to worry about coming in and setting up a stage and all this. You'll just have to set up the electric or whatever. I just I just think it would be fun. And I think the momentum, especially in that area with the wheel, with the aquarium, um, with kind of the revitalization of Union Station, and just being able to have that little something extra just built into that area. Not building uh, an, more buildings, but just kind of building a almost like a Keener Plaza-esque area around enterprise i just think that would be so cool for for the city first step though gotta stop having james do the national anthem on his guitar (laughs) he did it again sunday both national anthems and like i said he's a nice guy but he's so boring so safe vanilla white bread boring you you do have a lot of those a lot of those country people in st louis i'm sure there are people that respond to it i am a country person big country fan are you? It's boring. It's boring. <laughs> it's slow. It's. Oh. Yeah, it's it's a march, isn't it? Like you, like if if sung at its proper pace, it would be like da 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 da, da, da you know, and uh, yeah, that. yeah, that's my professional musical analysis of the American Star Spangled Banner, <laughs> as opposed to the you know, yeah. Well, some other banners are, in fact, star-spangled. Australia, for example, New Zealand, do, in fact, have stars in their flag. So the American star-spangled banner. Um, yeah, no, uh, General Wilson, man, stick with him. Or Nelly. Or Nelly. That'd be fun. still think he'd be a great in-game host. <laughs> It'd be a party. Does Vegas have a Charles Glenn-like figure? I think they're still so new that they don't have that yet. They could. Yeah, I'm sure they will do. Just the guy that kind of gains that cult following. Yeah, not that I know of. Let's talk about Jeremy Roenick. I've been waiting for this segment the whole show because do any of us really like Jeremy Roenick at all? I I, I liked him when he was a player because he played for Phoenix. I've always had a soft spot for them. But huge homer for the Chicago Blackhawks. Never has anything good to say about the Blues on NBC Sports, and it's just kind of like a microcosm of the reason nobody likes NBC Sports, I think, him and Pierre Maguire. So Jeremy Roenick went and got himself suspended from NBC Sports. Um, he made comments about Catherine Tappan, who is the host of 
NHL on NBC. Yeah. And Post game, pregame shows. Yeah. Intermission show. Now, apparently, Tappan and Ronick and Jeremy Ronick's wife, Tracy, are all good friends. They hang out together and go on vacation together. Um, apparently, uh, Ronick said they were, uh, were all on vacation together, and a guest at this resort they were at asked about the situation, and Ronick said he played it off like we're going to bed together every night, the three of us. And then he goes on to say, if it really came to fruition, that would be really good, but it's never going to happen. So Ronick's words, in a podcast interview that shall remain nameless. What's weird is like Ronick bookended that comment with talking about how professional and how good an analyst and a, and a presenter Catherine Tappern is. And she is fantastic. She's, a, I think, one of the best, only good things about NBC Sports and their, their coverage of hockey. Um, she's fantastic. But then he comes back to say, uh, he, he also refers to Patrick Sharp as, inverted commas, so beautiful. Which is yeah, just a weird, yeah. weird thing. <laughs> and then he says, I'd have to think about it. If he asked me, I wouldn't say no right away. Yeah. He goes on to contrast Patrick Sharp with Anson Carter. It's good to have a beautiful face that talks well, <laughs> that knows the game, because it's totally the opposite when me and Anson get on there. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, that's fun. Little, little misogyny, a little like unnecessary sexualizing of workplace environments. That always goes well in a hashtag Me Too society. Shippo, <laughs> Shippo is shaking his head silently. Sometimes you say things and you probably shouldn't. Some some comments are better left private, and that was definitely one of them. I asked myself, like, not in front of a recorder, anyway. Certainly not in front of a recorder, but like. I don't know, man. If one of you said that to me about your significant other, and both of whom I have met, yeah, I'd be like, why are you saying that to me? Off microphone, like if we're just hanging out before or after the thing, you know, show, watch party, whatever. Uh, I yeah, would, that's weird. That's yeah. weird to say. I mean, I have no issues at all acknowledging another man's attractiveness. I have no issue there. But when you then start to compare it to other coworkers and other people, that seems weird. I don't know. Maybe that's the uh, all-boy high school attendee in me. I mean, that was always something like, like, yeah, it's a good-looking dude. That's that's it. That's what it is. But then it's like, but if you look at that dude and then you look at that dude, both of whom you look work with, that's a little weird. Now, what's weird is right before you walked in, Chippo, I actually said to Mike, isn't Andrew so beautiful? <laughs> Hair flip. <laughs> no. Well, and there's the the whole, like, oh, I, I had heard rumors as well that, like, this kind of running joke, that it was, in fact, a running joke with Roenick, well, just with Jeremy Roenick, that apparently his wife and Catherine Tappan were not cool with him making these references, which he did repeatedly. And somehow he continued to play it off as, oh, I'm only playing around, whatever. Mm. I still think that's, that's trashy. That's, that's gross. And that's, that's why I say if one of you made a comment about another female person, when I know that you're, you have a significant other who's fantastic, I would, my response would be, why are you saying that? That's weird. That's tacky, right? Let alone to say it in a microphone that will go out to... Thousands, possibly millions of people. 
about a colleague. Wasn't the wasn't the smartest uh, moment of Roenick's career? Need to be a little more guarded with whatever's going on in your personal life. Roenick has been indefinitely suspended without pay by NBC Sports, so we will not see him on a broadcast for a while. And I, I have a hard time seeing him working his way back into that that environment. One because I think general consensus has been that he's not that good to begin with. Then on top of that, how does he get back onto a panel with Catherine Tappan? Like, oh, how do, how do you even begin to approach that situation if something like that has happened? Well, who knows? I've I've heard that uh, ESPN is wanting the NHL back. So if if they get the NHL back, I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot more of Barry Rom- Melrose and a lot less of. I love Barry Melrose. Barry Melrose, who doesn't know how to say Petrangelo either. Nobody does. It's not pronounced the way it's spelled, you know. That's what's weird about it. Pietrangelo. Pietrangelo, yeah. yeah. Because the Italian, Pietro. Right. Pizza. I mean, then you've got Bolmeister, which is just a weird... Like, there used to be a a guy called Branko Radovojevich, and that's a fun name to say. Most Russian names people... Like, for example, Ivan... People call him Ivan Barbashev. His name is Ivan Barbashev. The last letter in that, the last vowel in that name is an E, but it has two dots over it, which makes it a yaw sound. So it's kind of like Mikhail Gorbachev is another example of that. The yaw at the end, but it's written and it's anglicized like an E. Man, this is a tangent and a half. <laughs> hey, let's it's talk about... been all over the place. <laughs> it's just, you know, it's New Year's. We're all, uh, well, I'm not hungover because I don't drink, but it's uh, just, a, what year is it? What decade is it? Beats me. We'll say this. The Blues have won the same amount of Stanley Cups in this decade as the Chicago Blackhawks. <laughs> True. And it looks like it's going to be that way for a long time. That's right. Uh, let's talk about the NHL Winter Classic real quick. Uh, some cool things happened. You wanted to talk about Corey Perry, didn't you? Yeah, I saw uh, I saw all of the first period. Um but Corey Perry, I don't think it was even even five minutes into the game, gets a five minute major and a game misconduct for an elbow to the head of Ryan Ellis. Ryan Ellis took a shot and in the follow through, Perry skating right by him with his elbow up. It was very blatant. Just uh, Ellis had to be helped off the ice by teammates, and Corey Perry kind of lived up to his reputation of being a dirty player he was shown the gate got to take the long embarrassing walk from the rink to the locker room across the open stadium yeah just a solid like 200 foot walk <laughs> it was pretty long <laughs> what's weird is like i don't feel and this might just be my perception but i don't feel like there's enough recognition of how dirty a player Corey perry can be that's that's always something that I've perceived in his game, but I don't feel... I think it's kind of like, to a lesser degree, a Brad Marchand type thing, where he is a dirty player, he takes cheap shots, but he is rarely suspended for them. And as a result, I don't think he has... He carries around this reputation of being a dirty player. Um, but he's like... He is one of my least favorite players because I think, okay, there's chippiness, there's over-aggression, 
and that's how a lot of not so highly skilled players make their way in the NHL. You know, players like Ryan Reeves, who has skill, he's not a terrible player, but he has to rely on that physicality. He's a bit of a bruiser, all that stuff. And as you get to the the upper ends of the echelon in terms of skill, you s- tend to see less and less of that, and you see more Vladimir Tarasenko's and more Ryan O'Reilly's, who, like, I can't remember the last time I saw Ryan O'Reilly hit somebody because he doesn't have to because he's that skilled, right? And Perry kind of occupies this weird space where he is very, very talented but still a dirty player, and I really don't like that. It makes you just kind of, I don't know, like a prat. Yep, I think so. Uh, Nashville got two goals off that five-minute major. There you go. Taking a page out of the San Jose Sharks book, almost. Just too shy. Yeah, and you wonder, too, like guys like Joe Thornton and Corey Perry, like they're older. When they came into the league, that wasn't as frowned upon as it is now. So some of that carries over. Some of that, I think, sticks sticks with you because that's kind of how you came into to the NHL. Does that make it okay? Absolutely not. But I, you know, I think you have to consider that. I mean, you look at, I'm sure Kelly Chase wouldn't defend Corey Perry in this, but you look at, at Kelly Chase a lot of times on Twitter and you see him saying, you know, well, how would we have, uh, so guy gets hit, maybe a little, maybe a little dirty, maybe a little cheap shot. And he's like, well, how would we have done that? Well, we would have handled it on the ice. We would have taken care of it. And you just don't have that mentality in the game anymore. Um, for the most part, occasionally you'll see a guy kind of go after someone, but it's nowhere near the the same level as as it used to be. I think it was yesterday. Actually, it was in the Arizona game. Um, Shen had a little bit of a uh, after the whistle kind of hit a guy, um, and it looked a little it looked it looked a little bit of a hey, I want to let you know that I'm here. I'm doing this on purpose. But he kind of skated off of it and made it look like it wasn't really that big of a deal. And you just see an Arizona player just come in from out of frame, uh, kind of skating at him. And Shen just kind of skates away, and the ref kind of gets in and blocks it. But it's like, if that would have happened 10, 15 years ago, that could have been like a whole line brawl type thing. Like, hey, that's not okay, and we're going we're gonna to do this. But I just seeing that guy skate in from out of frame last night, I was like, oh, here we go. Because like, you don't see that anymore. Here um, comes Fjord, <laughs> the best Ken Wilson call of all time. And here comes Shovel Day. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, that's I watch that at least once a year just because I think it's so fun. And then, and then Joseph comes out, and that call, Ken Wilson, man, his voice was just so good. I could listen to him over and over and over and over and over again. We mentioned this when we were talking about the retro, the, yeah. uh, the primary colors jersey, and the, let's call them the preschool jerseys. Um, where Ken Wilson's voice is in that commercial, and for a second you're like, oh, could he come back? If we had Ken Wilson back, and then if the NHL went back to ESPN and you had Gary Thorne and Bill Clement as the the commentary Mm -hmm. crew and the old National Hockey Night theme song. Sign me up. Where do I sign? Oh, my goodness. Well, I don't don't know where you sign. (laughs) It's probably a billion-dollar deal that needs to happen. Yeah. Make it happen. I don't even have a billion pennies, so I'm out. And with that, we'll take you to break, listener. We'll be right back. <laughs> I don't even this? know what just happened. How about this? 
<laughs> the things about Jeremy Roenick, I'm just kind of like, I don't even remember what I said. All right, welcome back, listener. We're going to take you home. It's Country New Year's. Oh. Yeah, we're going to take you home just like Country Roads. <laughs> uh, oh, oh boy. Mike just shot me the death stare. Death stare. I think I'm on a two-minute <laughs> two <minute laughs> no-talking uh, penalty. Mike goes to a lot of games at the Enterprise Center, and every <laughs> single time he'll post in the live game chat, oh, Country Roads is here, and then it's like, here come the woos. <laughs> I have... A- I'm I'm not exactly ashamed to say this, but I have come to appreciate hearing the country the crowd singing country roads while watching on television. For real. And 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 it, it I've said this before, but it reminds me a lot of like in English football, people sing through the whole game. Like it's so what you do is you stand and you sing like you have a bunch of songs for your club and like the players for your club and most clubs have their own like kind of not fight song, but like I don't know. I don't know what it is for Chelsea, Shippo, but like we have forever blowing bubbles, right? And so what happens is right at kickoff, like they're they're playing the song through the through the system, you know, leading up to kickoff, and then they always time kickoff right before we sing Fortune's Always Hiding. And so as play starts, you just hear an arena full of people singing Fortune's Always Hiding. And the rest of the song, which is like another two lines. And that's what I hear when I hear Country Roads, is it's always like I belong, and I don't like the song itself, but it's it's cute that the fans sing and have something them something that they know the, the words to or whatever. But pick something that's at least St. Louis relevant. I don't know. I don't know what song that would be. There was one night. Meet me I'm, in St. Louis. That could be it. Okay. <laughs> there was one night at a game uh, last year, <laughs> two years ago, whenever like first kind of started. And I had uh, maybe a, a Bud Select uh, or two too many. And I just started... No, uh, no Bush Lattes? They don't sell them at the Enterprise Center or the... Anyway, so I, I had one or two too many, and I started singing my own words to uh, Country Roads. Um, Interesting. Loudly, and I had a couple people turn around. I like your version better! <laughs> I'm like, thanks! Because I like incorporated St. Louis into it, and I started making fun of why we sing about West Virginia and in St. Louis, but, um, anyway, uh, you'll have oh. to, you'll have to get me, uh, a few selects in and then maybe it'll come back and we can write it down and maybe we can propose it to, to the cute fans who sing. I like the word. Country you used Roads there. has the same, it's cute. Country <laughs> Roads has the same syllabi- syllabation as De La Rose. So you could turn it into a song for Jacob De La Rose. That's another thing. Talking Rose, about take us home like Premier league football, like it's makeup. Songs right, about players exactly. like that. And it's fun. Yes, it's I think so if much that fun. Could, if that could incorporate into the hockey culture, I think that would be pretty cool. De La Rose, take will, us home. Because we like woos too much. We just need to be more imaginative. West Virginia, I don't know. On the woos, at least the the blues entertainment people aren't encouraging it by putting Ric Flair on the... Would you, would you, would you rather? Would you rather do woos or take a page out of the Coyotes book, and there's always howling all the time. Have you noticed that? I remember that from when I was living there. It's like every five seconds, something is howling. I'll because. take the woos over country roads. That's for sure. Right, but that wasn't the... the that wasn't the question. That wasn't the, the double bind, the false option that you were given. <laughs> you have to choose between two things that... Whatever. How I'll about this? The woos. Last year, the whole thing was New Year, New Team. Tim Tanner probably remembers that. Joking, hashtag, hashtag, new year, new team, instead of new year, new me. And it was, in fact, like, 
turn of the year, it wasn't immediate, but something started to change, yeah? And this year has been record-breaking for the Blues, not just in winning a Stanley Cup, but they've won the most games, accumulated the most points of any Blues franchise calendar year, right? Um, Across the whole franchise history. So looking ahead to 2020... What would your uh, what would your St. Louis Blues New Year's resolutions be? Whether personally something you'd like to see the team accomplish that they haven't done, something maybe a player or the organization. Uh, I think my New Year's resolution for the team would be to re-sign Petro. I even well, it's hard, you know. Put a gun to my head, choose, you know, re-sign Petro or repeat as Stanley Cup champs, I think I would have to take Petro. I don't know. There's a lot of options. Um, I want to go get the uh, the fanny pack, the 90s fanny pack, on I think it's ah. February 27th. Um, I actually just pulled out my phone to see if I need a promotional ticket for that or if I just need to you be do. one of the first 20,000 or 12,000 or whatever. So You know, somebody's having, somebody's having a birthday on the 28th. I don't, I don't know who that is. Um, that can be our host. You can be my birthday, uh, my birthday date, Shippo. Ooh, that's cute. It would be so beautiful. <laughs> would you go to a game? <laughs> would you go to the game where there was a primary colored jerseys, as as you say? Would Absolutely. That, would, that, would that hurt your Absolutely. eyes? Absolutely. The primary school jerseys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna try to get to that one. I think there's one more after that with the with the throwbacks, but. Um, that's not really a, a New Year's resolution, though. That's just something I want to do. Um, New Year's resolution. Stop giving up goals in the last minute or minute and a half of periods in games. I, I just There's been so many this year, it feels like, and it hasn't hurt us really in, in all that much because we still got a phenomenal record and we're still playing really well, but... In the playoffs, when those happen, those that's when they're going to start hurting. And so, if we can cut that out, I think that would be that would be good. I think that's what we need to do. It's my resolution for the Blues. That's a good one. New Year's resolution. I keep coming back to, and this is kind of thinking about what you were saying about re-signing Petrangelo. I think you have to. I think you have to sort out a few positional contracts that just don't make a lot of sense. I think Jake Allen is one of those. I think it's moving some of the some of the depth, yes, but your players like a Zach Sanford or a De La Rose or anybody kind of in that in that arena in that that on that level of the Blues squad, you're going to have to clear up some contract space and I'm not saying that moving De La Rose is going to free up the budget that you need to resign Petrangelo. No, but um, you're going to have to restructure some things. And so I think finding the ways earlier, sooner rather than later, in particular when some of these players' trade value is very high, uh, I, I think finding ways to do that now would be, that would be my priority. If I'm Doug Armstrong, We've talked about this on this podcast before. I'm not sitting on my hands saying, well, we're winning games. Let's not think about that problem because it's not here yet. You know, Yes, we're winning games, but if your priority is re-sign Alex Petrangelo, say, then you have to start moving some of those pieces now so that 
the time for negotiation doesn't come and you're finding yourself unable to move. On top of that, Jake Allen historically nosedives in January. So I think if if people are asking about him now, while he's possibly playing some of the best hockey of his career, I would say, maybe aside from that Minnesota Wild series in the postseason that he basically won for us, I think he's been playing better than he has throughout most of his career. Consistently, too. Um, aside from the first few starts of the season, since then he's been very good. Um, I think you sell high and and uh, and either find a, a capable backup who might not be as not might not have as high a ceiling as Jake, but certainly not as bad as as um, the guy we had last year, Johnson, Chad Johnson, somewhere kind of in between the two. Maybe it's you know getting a Vila Husso type person ready to be a backup to Bennington, but uh, figuring out how to how to sort that out and and starting to get package together to say okay Petrangelo we want you to be our guy for the next five to ten years and making sure that nobody else comes in with anything more desirable desirable for him you know that's that's my new year's resolution and no more country national anthems ever that's my thing maybe not ever there could still be some good ones ever if if you do it's got to be acapella it's got to be an actual country singer not just somebody trying to sing with a twang. Because that's another pet peeve of mine is when people put on the twang and it's not really. Anthem should be a cappella. I'm just saying. And not performed by Slash. <laughs> that's about all we have time for this week, listener. We hope you liked the first episode of 2020. Mike Kelly, do you have any final thoughts besides bring back Angela Sharp? <laughs> no. No, just uh, let's go Blues and Happy New Year. Chippo, final thoughts? No, I think I shared all my thoughts. Plus some not thoughts. Yeah, very much not thoughts. (laughs) It's one of those days, you know? It's like you were all up late last night. um, Hockey's fun. Hockey is fun. It is such a fun game to watch. I played in an alumni game last weekend, and you know what? My body is still sore. Mm. I have bruises on me, and I don't remember being hit by a puck or a stick in those places. Say no more. That's real. Well, hey, listener, uh, come on and hang out with us on Facebook at the St. Louis Blues Supporters Forum. Participate in our live group chats and all that. Uh, Shippo and Mike and I are there. Even when we're at the games, we're still pretty good about checking in and being like, oh, yeah, this place is going nuts, whatever. But, yeah, come come chat with us. Share your news and views with us there. And please share this podcast on social media so people know to listen to us and give us some love um, because we love you, listener. Um, to kick off the new year, I've been here with Mike Kelly. Thanks for having me. Oh, anytime. And Andrew Schiff. Good to be here. I've been Jude. And until next time, let's let's go go blues. blues. This has been a Cathedral Studios production.